Welcome to the Changemakers series brought to you by the Primary Healthcare Program and Quality and Education Department. Please note that our sessions are recorded and will be posted on SoundCloud for shared learning purposes. If you do not wish your name to be public and have questions during the presentation, please feel free to email nicole.farago at ahs.ca or sabrina.singh at ahs.ca and we will happily forward your questions to the presenters. Thank you. This meeting is being recorded. There you go. Now you know. Um, so welcome, guys. Welcome to the Changemaker series. Many of you have been here before. I'm Margie Sills Mayroth, um, your host for today. And uh, the Changemaker series, for those of you who aren't familiar, are it's a way to have to listen in on. We call I think of it like listening in on conversations. You're on the bus. You hear a really interesting conversation ahead of you. You like strain. You lean forward. You try to listen in. You're like, oh, I can't believe they said that. Um, but the good news is you actually get to um, not just listen, but ask questions and be part of it. So the whole idea is this conversation. We get interesting people who've done interesting things, and it helps um, hopefully just make you go, hmm, that's kind of cool. Um, so our goal is just to do, we call it those small cognitive shifts, those little shifts that make you just look at things differently. So this is our, oh my gosh, this is our ninth one, Sabrina? Yes, it is. It is. Lucky number nine. <laughs> yeah. Um, so for those of you who want to, who want to be able to hear some of the other ones, we do have them on our PHC resource center. Um, and we can send the link out for that, uh, for those of you who are interested to hear numbers one through eight. Um, but today we are super excited to bring somebody, um, from outside the healthcare sector. <laughs> so we have, um, two folks, Karen Tang and Rafaela Loro. They are both from the city of Edmonton, and they are doing some really interesting work on urban wellness. So welcome, guys. Hi. Thank you for having us. Yeah, good morning. All right. And why don't you just for the group say, I'm Karen, and I'm Raffaella, so they know who's who. <laughs> uh, so my name is Karen Tang, I'm project manager for Recover that we'll be talking about today. And I'm uh, Raffaella Loro, and I am the strategy and communications lead uh, with Karen here on Recover. Wonderful. Well, we're so pleased you guys joined us because um, you're doing some groundbreaking work, and I think it's really important to be able to share that. Now, you know, when we first connected, you were telling us how you wanted you wanted to look at three big problems: um, how do you meet the needs of those who are marginalized, who can't access services in the city? How do you support thriving communities, which is something that all cities really try to do? And how do you plan um, <clears throat> municipal services? Um, and really have those cumulative impacts on neighbor on neighborhoods and communities. So those were like three kind of giant things. And absolutely, yeah. So tell us a bit about how did you, as you looked at those three big problems, um, tell us a little bit of the story about how you how you conceptualize those problems, and then uh, yeah, about how you conceptualize those problems and what some of your initial ideas were. Uh, you know. I think uh, urban wellness issues have always been around uh, for as long as we can remember. And like many other major cities uh, in the world, uh, we see lots of concentration of particular issues such as homelessness and poverty uh, concentrated in the inner city um, in Edmonton. And in 2017, a lot of forces were coming to a head um, and 
so, you know, some of which we, you, you might be familiar with in the news, like the, the supervising consumption services. So there was a, a proposal to consolidate a lot of the inner city social services into one one-stop shop uh, called a wellness center. So there's a lot of these forces coming to play, and a lot of the residents were, were pretty upset because it, it just felt like a further concentration of services and, and, and related issues. And they were worried um, they'd lose some, probably. Well, I think a lot of the residents felt that it would just bring further um, marginalization, poverty, and homelessness, um, and clashing with that, uh, you know, the perception of safety, um, you know, economic revitalization won't really won't really happen. So people, you know, everybody had different. Um, they saw different things coming to out out, out of that. The residents certainly saw something um, different mm-hmm. from the the agencies and the people who are being served. Right. Um, so yeah. So that that's kind of how we um, came up. That's how kind of recover kind of came about. Um, we wanted to take something. We want to take a different approach to address these big, big, complex challenges. Right. Um, so, so you had a bit of you had a bit of a, a perfect storm really going on. That that provided yeah, the yeah. opportunity. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so we ended up going with a social innovation approach to addressing urban wellness. Now, have yeah. you guys have you guys done social innovation in the past? Like, how did you, like, how did you come up with this? Was this kind of your wheelhouse, anyways, or where did you like? What what made you think about doing this? Um, like many sort of municipal governments, like the and governments in general, the buzzword around innovation I think has been around for a while. Mm-hmm. So there's definitely been pockets of innovative approaches that have existed <clears throat> within our city before. <coughs> And uh, a few years ago, probably about in uh, 2012, uh, you know, we're always responding to requests from council. And we, right. um, you know, so 2012, 2013, there was kind of a push towards how can you, how can the city become more innovative? And so there was an attempt to sort of create an innovation program, but it was very inward focused. And it was probably more around continuous improvement. And mm. so when this, these tensions were kind of arising um, and, you know, catching the attention of council around urban wellness and, you know, issues around, uh, you know, a consolidated wellness center. They tasked us with just looking at that issue. And it was because of some of that earlier spirit around innovation that um, administration chose to, to try a social innovation approach. And that was one of the beauties of, of where this work started is that there was freedom and a willingness to try something that was a little bit different than more traditional planning approaches that right. uh, we've used here at the city. So how was, what were the big differences? So you think about the, now you guys are also in a bureaucracy as many of us are. We're all within kind of these, you know, government stewardship type roles. And so innovation is really tough in those environments. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about the tensions you had to navigate as you, they were willing to say, yeah, we'll do nav- we'll, we'll do innovation. But how did you have to navigate that process to get the, the bureaucracy and the politicians, because you also had to deal with politicians, um, to agree to say, okay, yeah, we're good with this really different mm-hmm. approach? Um, I, there's a couple things. One, I think this issue or these issues have all been We've attempted to tackle them so many different times to varying degrees of success. And 
but when they, you brought them all together, they created this sort of big, hairy problem that I think almost no one would want to touch because it seems uh, so, so challenging. And so uh, I like to think that this was a problem that was sort of said, let's like just try something, try something different. See <laughs> For the love of God, <laughs> do something. Yeah. And, and, okay. and, and that really, I think, was where this kind of started. And I think the, like, that's our, our honest kind of description of it. Um, this work sort of lives within our citizen services department, mm -hmm. which deals with so many different uh, pieces of work in the community. Um, and you're often thrown really challenging problems like poverty or racism or right. gender equity. And so this group within Citizen Services is used to kind of, you know, seeing what's possible, but has a, at its core an understanding of you don't solve these issues alone. You have to involve the community. And so uh, we had some, some folks on our team who had come from a background of kind of human-centered design and knew sort of what's been happening in the social innovation field. And really it was a suggestion of uh, one of the uh, our past core team members who sort of said, hey, have you thought about using social innovation and prototyping to, to maybe try this? And it was just a series of conversations. And then, you know, that okay from our deputy city manager to say, sure, like, I don't really know what uh, I don't really know what you're going to do. What you're suggesting, and, and <laughs> let's just try yeah. it. And and in his case, he comes from a city planning background, right? And it's pretty so traditional. He, yes, mm -hmm. but he, uh, I kind of really it's admire that he he said okay, um, <laughs> yeah. and and then we had to deliver on it. Yeah. Uh, so and, that trust was there. Yeah, and so I'll just add something to that too. You know, if you think about it from a city councilor perspective, they get lots of calls every day from people. Um, talking about issues in their communities. And for, you know, this time around, we said, you know what, those people who are calling you, we're going to involve them in this process. Oh, you know, okay. we're going to figure out what the tensions are in the community, and we're going to try to turn that tension into something productive. Um, so you actually solved that, a problem for them right there, right off the bat. Well, I think that's part of the appeal of this project, pro yeah. project and, and gaining that buy-in. Yeah. And it gave you ready-made people who were already engaged and you know, cared enough to call, right? Exactly. Yeah, so you solved multiple problems with one small step. So so as you look at kind of the lang this new language, right, social innovation, ethnographic research, um, you what, what really fascinated me is, as we were talking earlier is that you had to sell essentially to, you know, <laughs> to your manager, to city council, you had to sell a platform, not a, the community as well, you're right. Mm -hmm. You had to sell a platform on which change could happen, not an actual change itself. Talk to us a little bit about what that, what did that feel like and what did you really have to tap into to be able to make that leap? Um, I, I think one thing about how it, how it felt was it, it felt like our brains were constantly being <laughs> like put in a vice and <laughs> we're having to change our, our mindset all the time and to put aside that expectation that we each of our team members and the community and all of our partners would bring to the table about let's just solve this problem right away mm -hmm. and we had to get into more of a learning mindset and understand that you know our first year is still very much uh, an experiment like we were prototyping a process. And so, yes, we needed to uh, sell a platform, but 
probably a, a for me a more accurate way of describing it is that we had to build the platform together. I think a lot of people use an analogy about building a plane while while flying it, but I don't even know if we knew that we were building a plane. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so so it was it was really challenging, and so much of this is about, you know, uh, if, I think being able to do research and look at what's happening in other places and spaces, and whether that's uh, coming from academia, whether that's coming um, from you know kind of the innovation field, healthcare, we were looking at ways that other groups were sort of tackling these issues and being able to sort of develop a methodology that would work for um, our piece. And at the same time also, um, you know, we do a lot of synthesis and reflection, bringing in the best of what has worked in our municipal context before and not trying to say, let's throw everything out. Really, it's, mm -hmm. you know, there's there were ideas, there were things that had worked before, and we are amplifying that uh, through the recover process, through social innovation. Yeah, so so for me, um, I kind of came in after the project started, and you know, social innovation is not my, it's not my background, so I think, um, like some of the other team members, just kind of joining this process and, and trusting that we're gonna do something. And I think for the, from, for, for the community, um, some of the things that was a little bit different, if you think about it, is that, you know, people are coming to these meetings um, like like they would for any other kinds of issue. But one of the things that we did kind of early on was um, activities like soft shoe shuffle, trying to surface some of those tensions. Okay, so now we're talking about kind of the the real problem uh, in mm -hmm. the community, and that's a little bit different. And then the next time they came, we we, we started to in introduce ethnographic research, which is a different form of uh, research in a very applied way. Uh, and people are starting to be like, okay, it's a little bit different. Um, and I think a lot of folks didn't actually, they can't really ar ar actually articulate what we did until we got to the prototyping stage. Um, and, you know, this first year, like my father said, is a testing ground for all of us, including the team members. And I know for me, um, I didn't kind of piece everything together until a little bit later on uh, in the year, like a lot of our community members. So right. for all of us, it was a learning process. So you really, it was really... Um, it was emerging. It was definitely emerging for you. It sounds Very like, emerging. yeah, which is which is what learning's about. That is that learning mindset. Mm -hmm. But it sounds mm -hmm. like you really anchored yourself on a couple of, of of a few important things. I mean, certainly there's the the research you talked about. I think is an important one because it's not that you were doing things haphazardly. You actually leaned on what does evidence show us? What do we know? Mm -hmm. And evidence look, you know, there's different forms of evidence. Uh, and for once, we really highlighted um, the value of qualitative, in-depth, deep ethnographic research that is very much human-centered. It's really about, uh, you know, we generate data through profiles and stories uh, uh, where our ethnographers follow and shadow, they interview, they really try to understand what it is like to be in someone else's shoes who are um, accessing service or kind of living day-to-day -day in poverty. Um, and that kind of um, writing uh, and storytelling is what really anchors our entire recover platform. Yeah. yeah. Did you use Did you use quantitative data too? Did you marry yeah. the two, or did you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, you know, adding to to Karen's kind of description of the qualitative side, um, the, the 
simple way that we've described it is that this process looked at both big data, so those quantitative sets like, so you know, census, um, you know, crime data from police. Uh, it could be looking at things that are captured uh, in other areas like our 24-7 crisis diversion teams. Um, you know, we looked at urban wellness indicators and things that were being kind of measured federally. And then we kind of also connected that with other things like systems mapping. So one of our first pieces of work that we did with our um, kind of first stakeholder groups was to look at all of the different strategies and policies across, um, we looked provincially and we looked uh, across our municipal service and some of our service agency partners say, what are we doing right now that exists in a strategy and policy form that impact urban wellness? And we looked at probably about, you know, 180 plus policies, 240 strategies, or might be the other way around, um, and just tried to put all of that together into a way to sort of see what was the relationship with it. Yeah. And we, we dabbled for a few minutes thinking, okay, are we going to get down to the program and service level? and sort of parked that for a while because after you went down a level, you got into hundreds, if not sometimes close to thousands of programs and services that all have some sort of connection with um, urban wellness. But what you find when you just look at big data is that it may show you some larger sort of trends and themes, but there's some gaps. It's missing some of the, the why or, or who's not being represented in that space. So that's where our ethnography or our qualitative uh, research came into play. So we did a combination of, of qualitative research. We used um, an ethnographic approach uh, with the with a mar like marginalized population of a sort of very vulnerable folks, so people who are chronically or episodically uh, homeless, they have, they're in and out of the criminal justice system. And then we also tied in uh, with some community interviews, so using our public engagement process to do doorstep interviews to ask people some questions. And those insights from the qualitative um, kind of connected or were reinforced by what we saw through some of the, the bigger data sets. Mm -hmm. And that helps us when we move into uh, prototyping uh, because we can say, uh, quite strongly when we're recommending, you know, sort of looking into uh, opportunity space, where that came from. It's not just right. sort of this was cool in Calgary or this yeah. was cool in Toronto and maybe it'll work in Edmonton. It might be taking those assumptions and saying, does the data say that that's what we need here in Edmonton and is the group that would most benefit from that, um, that solution or that thing that we want to test is that actually what they want and need to improve their situation? Well, what, what's so beautiful about that is you're actually kind of digging into the why of the big data. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so exactly. the big data in and of itself only tells us a number, and you can make all kinds of interpretations on that. Yeah. But what you so did was... Yeah, so we're, we, we always say we balance the big and big data. Yeah, yeah. So what you did was you actually tried to understand the why behind it based on the experience of those who use and are part of the system. Mm -hmm. yeah, we have a kind of way of describing what ethnography is about, and it's about making a way uh, to make visible people that are often invisible. Yeah. So we, you know, especially when we're dealing with marginalized populations, uh, even when this work started, it was describing folks as statistics, not necessarily as humans with really richly textured stories. 
Yeah. And I think, you know, we talk about storytelling a lot, um, but those stories really kind of help us illuminate kind of pain points and opportunities. Mm-hmm. And like I'd give us a, a way to sort of check assumptions that we have um, and sort of uncover the possibilities of things to to test. Yeah. And, uh, and and one of the things, you know, the research is surfacing isn't that some of the ideas and opportunity areas that emerge aren't groundbreaking, you know, things you never even heard of. A lot of it is actually revisiting the familiar. And we like to say, you know, the ethnographic research is making the familiar strange. So the mm. things we do know, but shedding a different light on it. Well, and it's, it's interesting because you really talk about using things like, you know, your public engagement, door knocking, very traditional things that that, mm. that work. Yeah. And so you mm-hmm. leveraged what worked along to help build that full, rich picture. Exactly. And, um, yeah, and certainly as a municipality, we need to engage the wider public. And we, we definitely adapted. and We use a, a variety of strategies in our public engagement um, and adapted to this particular project. So you had some pretty strong processes in there um, that all led you to a prototype. Tell us a bit about what your prototype looked like. So, um, I get, we actually had uh, 13 prototypes that we tested in the first year, which is uh, kind of a kind of a crazy number. But there's a couple <laughs> ways to look at it. One is the first year recover was a prototype to test this process or this platform um, that we were developing, which was you know, and the and the things that emerged from it, uh, we've we've kind of spoken to a little bit, but it's really important that we. Um, uncovered tensions and built relationships. It was really important that we grounded our work in data. And the last piece was, you know, speaking of the 13 prototypes, that we uh, engaged in a co-design process. So we use a lot of um, kind of design methodology, which uh, folks may be uh, a little bit familiar with in, in some in some ways. They might have used it, um, you know, it's borrowing a bit from uh, whether it's uh, like tech companies that use design sprints, or when you see uh, kind of a, a like a quick storyboard or a test uh, to do some journey mapping if you're trying out a new process. Um, so we applied those tools to 13 different ideas that emerged from our opportunities from our research. So, so I just want to step back a little bit. Uh, so if you so after all that research we just talked about. What surfaced was about 16 opportunity areas, and there okay. are some big categories uh, of uh, things that we could look at to improve urban wellness. Underneath those 16 uh, opportunity areas, we had over 200 uh, what-if ideas, um, and really it was about who was in the room, where is the energy, where is the capacity to mobilize these ideas. That's overwhelming number of ideas, um, yeah. and you know, and if you look at them, a lot of them either are in, in pro. In, in progress by some other, by some other department or some other organization, so we so we kind of honed in on 13, and that's kind of how we landed um, on these prototypes. Mm-hmm. Kind of where's the energy, where's the capacity, and how is it backed by the research? And so you the, actually so you use you use some criteria. It sounds like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we call them filters, and and yeah. you know, and we we had uh, a. As part of the process, you know, people have to form teams, prototype teams. They develop a game plan to tackle this what if, and uh, they had to look at it through certain filters. Yeah. So the, the 13 ideas from the first year um, are, are really broad uh, in And scope. they're really different. And they're all very different. And, and so we, we purposely didn't try to sort of direct 
the the direct people towards just one or two opportunity areas and sort of saying like these are the best uh, because we wanted to get a sense of um, and this is part of the trust that you know our organization and our, our leaders had to have in us to sort of say okay uh, why are you not narrowing down to your number one action and focusing all of your attention there? Mm-hmm. And part of that was because we needed to familiarize ourselves and the community and our partners in what it's like to co-design together. And, you know, even though the process, um, you know, we've tackled problems before uh, as groups, we were trying to say we're not trying to presuppose a solution. So much in the same way that this work originated from the idea of one wellness center, you have to sort of test that. You have to ask, well, is is that actually what people need is one wellness center? Right. And so, for example, um, there were kind of bringing from the, the community side, uh, there were some folks who came in who were saying, you know, well, what we need is a wellness council. We need a group that's going to help us make decisions and give a voice for uh, the community to sort of say yes or no or give their insights about big decisions like a wellness center and if that should happen in our community. And so they used the approach and the tools that we had to test out that idea of a wellness council. And, you know, variations of wellness councils exist uh, throughout throughout the city. You know, it, you could say it exists some way in community leagues or it exists in advisory boards and whatnot. And so they were ask the question repeatedly about like how is this different how would this function differently and mm-hmm. how can you um, kind of imagine how this will work and then use the tools to test uh, to test out their assumptions right. so we would do sort of role-playing or simulation um, to say okay you want to create a wellness council what are the positions that you would need and so before there is big investment in you know, giving funding to a group to create a council, they're, they have to sort of put a little bit of, um, put like, bring some skin in the game and be willing to sort of run it through a simulation. And each what, prototype kind of followed that, that process. Mm-hmm. Which um, is so interesting. You did 13 of them too, because I'm thinking, um, tell me, tell me if this is, you know, you talked about needing to familiarize and, and kind of spread and get a lot of people involved. But is part of it too that, you're dealing with a really complex system where one thing influences another. So mm-hmm. before you, you don't want to hone on one thing because there's so many unanticipated consequences. Yeah, and uh, if you, uh, there's a slide in our deck uh, that we actually follow pretty, um, that we follow pretty faithfully. It's called the Gales model. Um, and that is kind of how we envision how we implement the Recover platform. We, we recognize that in order to shift the culture which is at the landscape level, very high up, uh, very difficult to change. Um, and in order to change the system, which is at the regime level, which is also, you know, if you think about it, very, very challenging, we actually need a lot of different niche innovations happening on the ground. Mm-hmm. And we saw these prototype types as these small actions because we weren't looking for the silver bullet solution. Right. We're looking for the silver buckshot. So enough of them hopefully will shift the system somehow that will ultimately shift, you know, that culture piece at the very top. Um, and so if you think about the 13 prototypes, so there's a, another slide in the deck that, that looks like a rainbow kind of. Um, they, they, all, they, they may seem very disparate, but they're connected somehow. Right. And they're, they're uh, divided by how they change. Um, we, you know, there's a couple that change the system, 
fundamentally shift, uh, talking about how we turn the system around. Um, Wellness Council is one of them because it really relates to power distribution and uh, uh, de de the decision-making structure. There's a few that is really about changing the network. You know, we're talking about service coordination. We're talking about warm handoff. Um, we're talking about how how sectors are network are networked together. And then there's another layer that's about change changing this narrative. Um, a lot of this relates to placemaking, for example, um, and and just interaction with say um, the greater community about s certain perceptions. So that so that's kind of how we saw these 13 prototypes. Right, and so you're really, you're really creating a whole system of change. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah. I, I, now, I will say this, yeah. for our second year, we definitely would not do 13 prototypes again. Okay. Uh, <laughs> it, was a, it was a lot of work, um, and only because we don't have the, um, an essential part of each prototype was that we would, uh, we had one of our core team acting as a city connector, so right. we played a really integral role in trying to align some of the ideas that emerged from the prototype teams to sort of do some of that running around, whether it's background research, you know, understanding if there were sort of permits that need to be involved, even trying to acknowledge, you know, did this have a potential to, you know, need to adjust some policy, and if this idea were to move past a prototype. Um, into something um, like into a full-fledged program or into something else, uh, what's, what's actually necessary to change that? So a uh, good example is um, Karen was actually the city connector on an empty storefront program. And that, you know, you very quickly run into uh, issues around some, some of our policies and our bylaws um, that exist that would need to change in order to allow a program like this to continue. Mm -hmm. And that's not to say that that prototype stops, but it's you need to have um, different perspectives and uh, people who are part of the system as part of this co-design process for it to be really and truly um, impactful. So now in our, our second year, um, we're thinking of saying, okay, maybe it's having the amount of, of prototypes and, and looking a bit, um, applying a bit more filters and criteria in the selection of, of what moves forward right. so that we can just attend, like provide more resources to, to those tests. Mm -hmm. Right. So well, I'm curious. Prototypes have, um, we haven't really emerged because we're still, because we need to kind of decide and co-design that with the community. But there, the 13 from the first year, you know, after, you know, a period of prototyping, we can assess the potential for them to be, um, we call them scaling up or, mm -hmm or um, through other forms of iteration. So out of 13, you know, there's a number of them that, that what we call closed. You know, they, they didn't necessarily have a lot of momentum and uh, we learned from them, we celebrated the learning, but we did close it. And, it was, it, and it's okay to let go of ideas. Right. Um, and then there's a number of them that kind of went on to have life of their own, either through community leadership or city leadership uh, with additional research or, or additional iteration of testing. So you really had to pay attention to some of the pacing of it and where the like where there was natural energy. Mm -hmm. That well, that's that certainly is part of it, um, yeah. and uh, and where and who else might pick that up and and move forward with it. Well, what's interesting is there's a lot of your language is really highlighting. There's a lot of letting go. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of your, your your yeah. yeah Failing is okay. Yeah, yeah. And how did you now now knowing bureaucracies? Mm -hmm. 
letting go is hard. <laughs> so you talk about letting go in, on a few different levels. One was about, oh, it's okay if things don't work. We let it, we, we recognize it, we close it, and we move on. The other one was we let people run with it. That was their idea. They take it. It has momentum. It's off and running. It's it's kind of off of us, but it's it's going. In, it's going almost in like despite whatever we do or in spite of whatever we do or because of what we do. Uh, and then that's any which way that is, is fine. So talk yeah. about how did you, how did you manage that tension between that ability to, you know, let go and not control um, with the kind of the typical bureaucratic and political process? Um, well, one of the things that we really try to highlight throughout this process is that urban wellness is a shared responsibility. It is not just a city uh, responsibility to solve this issue. It really requires the businesses. It requires the you know the community leagues, the agencies, um, just everyday people themselves to take some kind of responsibility. And so if something if something is not necessarily working um, because there's additional learning that needs to be done, um, it's not up to you know the city to hold on to it and say no, we need to kind of work through that. And without taking that approach, we can't really be nimble. And we had a really good facilitator. We worked mm. with the Mars Solution Lab from based out of Toronto to really guide people uh, in that mindset. Oh yeah. Um, so for example, yeah. yeah. So for so for example, the Wellness Council, um, you know, it closed, but I think lots of people got the learning that this this community decision making structure is not as easy as we thought. There's so many things about equity, about power, we haven't really considered before. It, you know, we we can let. How about we reflect on that in our own way? Um, and formally, you know, the wellness council closed, but certainly, I I have no doubt that there are still people in the community who still think about this learning and think about how else they can apply it. So there's there's benefit even when you close things down. The benefit is that you've touched and changed people's thinking. That is always the goal. Yeah. Yeah. We, yeah. So something that emerged uh, from this process was initially this was called Recover Edmonton's Urban Wellness Plan, uh, but it became really apparent very quickly that we weren't actually creating another plan. There's no plan. <laughs> so, and so we, we, you know, we have an approach. We have an approach to tackle this work. And so being able to kind of have the permissions to, to, to say to council and to say to uh, you know, the rest of our administration, like, this isn't a plan. We're not going to call it a plan anymore. Um, that that was disruptive, right? Yeah. That's changing yeah. the way that we typically sort of have things. Like, you have a plan, you have action items, and here we say we're working towards a goal, but there's also a recognition of sometimes these aspirations we have can't be as clearly articulated as as we want them to be. And so I think that shows a bit of a shift in uh, kind of understanding and a shift in the the trust that we have with the community. Um, because I think, you know, government, so we're always hearing things like, you need to be accountable for your actions. Um, but to, to Karen's point, this is a shared responsibility. So we're trying to be able to show what our what our role is in helping to convene space, to move things forward, to be there as a support and a resource. Um, but this work isn't just about the prototyping. The prototyping is one element of it. There's still other pieces of work that happen, um, you know, as part of our regular project uh, that we have to keep moving forward. There's all of those pieces that, that keep happening. Um, and so it's, 
the work is always always changing and always very challenging. Um, what what really strikes me about what you guys just shared is that um, you have a very different change model. If you think about change management, it uses the word management. It, it assumes that you can actually manage people in change. Instead, what you're actually doing is you're honoring and respecting people as part of the system. Mm-hmm. Which which is like you know again it's it's that control versus the um, valuing of others and. You know, I kind of think of it, it sounds a little paternalistic, but like a parent, you know, like your goal is not to control your child. Well, sometimes you wish you could, but your goal is to, your goal is to make a fully functioning and thoughtful human being. That's right. We and, often have to sort of go back and, and remind ourselves of like these, the core learnings that we, we have. And, and, and that makes us feel a little bit better when things are particularly uh, challenging. But I mean, we say stuff like we expect there to be mistakes. We expect, you know, some ideas to end. We know that we need to look at some of our existing policies and strategies and, and programs as just a point in time. And we know that we need to really embrace that, like that learning mindset, but also that we're going to design, we're going to test, and we're going to constantly be adjusting um, the way we do work. And I think we're used to sort of finding a best practice and mm-hmm. trying to achieve that as our gold standard. But right. what we're realizing is that there is not just one, it's not the best practice that we're seeking, it's the next practice. And that is constantly going to change and evolve and, and be customized to the particular area that we are looking at. So if we're looking at um, housing, you know, the next practice that's, that's there is going to be a different approach than another area that we might be looking at um, within the community. You know, and I think it's, that's, it's, it's a really powerful culture shift about being safe to fail and learning from that. Like you've actually, the big game is to learn. It's not to be right. Mm -hmm. Um, and sometimes I think that's a a little hard to sell, uh, Mm -hmm. especially to the community, you know, um, we have funding and we're here to learn. Um, but, because I think this project um, has been building some sort of steady momentum, and um, you know, people are seeing people are seeing things shifting. People are seeing change, and and one of that, I think one of the reasons why we're, we are building momentum is because we're taking this rapid testing approach. Right. Um, and so, I think that made it easier to sell that package. And uh, after one year of testing, we've really kind of landed on. So what, what what we are, you know, we don't provide services, we don't provide grants, we provide a platform, we provide methodology, we spread knowledge, uh, the research that, that comes out of um, Recover, we try to spread that, um, and mobilizing organizations themselves to kind of tap into that knowledge and, and use it for something productive. We build networks. Um, within the communities themselves, we, we try to form networks between neighbors and agencies, for better understanding. Uh, We're building on our ethnographic research network here in Edmonton. Uh, You know, we are forming networks between businesses um, and the community leagues, for example. Mm -hmm. We're harnessing all of that collective creativity through co-design and co-creation. And we provide a safe space for people to experiment, to make mistakes. And and that, uh, the whole whole co-creation aspect, helps us to mitigate risk you know, from a bureaucratic standpoint right. uh, and increase efficiency. So that is ultimately what, you know, this platform has become. Um, and we didn't arrive at, 
at that point, knowing that from day one, we really arrived at that after a whole year of learning. Well, so the, the, one of the questions we've just typed up is, mm -hmm. um, tell me more about what it's like to not have a plan and how, because she said <laughs> this, and because this one individual says, not having a plan, her name's Breton, um, and not having a plan gives her heart, pal heart palpitations. <laughs> so, <laughs> however, yep. yeah, but you know, yeah. I'm actually going to, I'm going to make, I'm going to make a jump and tell me if this is accurate. What you've just described is your plan. The platform has high rigor in it. There's a high approach to, there's a high set of processes. You have, you have tight processes, but the content is loose yeah. and the content and will evolve. Yeah. Yeah, and we didn't have, even what you just said, kind of at the very beginning of Recover. Yeah. Um, we didn't have that plan, even like the you know, content aside, we didn't even have those structure. Yeah. Um, and that kind of really morphed and emerged out of all the co-creation we were doing with the community. Mm -hmm. um, it, uh, I can definitely attest to the heart palpitations. <laughs> uh, I joined the project pretty early on. It started in... Uh, you know, they had some early meetings in August of uh, 2017, and I, I joined in, in September. And yeah, it was it was crazy. It was it was challenging. But what we had to do very early on is sort of one have good trust in uh, Alex Ryan uh, from the Mars Solution Lab, who was kind of giving us the the steps to kind of move through this. Um, oh, and just as a side, I, I think I'm in love with Alex Ryan. Just for the record. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, that means amazing. Yeah, yeah. Continue, was, continue. He, he, and he really uh, was a great uh, group to bring with because not only did he bring in the perspective of uh, some of the In With Ward, who's the uh, social design group that we work with on our ethnography, but he was willing to co-design the process with us and and step back and allow us to, uh, you know, share in the in the leadership and the creation of the space. Um, but would be a good was a good sort of touchstone for us to remind uh, remind us of when things were kind of a little bit crazy. Was this is normal? This is what social innovation uh, looks like. It is messy. It is complex. Uh, but there are simple ways through that complexity, and that's where our framework started to emerge. Was um, sort of saying, well, people are grumbling and upset, and he said, good, uncover those tensions, and you guys are good at building relationships. That mm -hmm. becomes a piece of what you need to do. You know, we were saying, well, we need to do all of this research. Great. And he would help us to discover, like, yes, exactly. You do have to do all of that research. That research and the combination of it is going to allow you to, to see insights. And so, like you said, the framework is our plan. Uh, but it's not the same as the typical plans that we create. So we mm -hmm, have right. this, this approach that can be applied not only to urban wellness, but almost any complex issue that, that we face to say, look, just sort of follow these these tenants and be okay with the the fact that you're not going to know exactly what the end is going to look like, but you can be. Um, we when we talk about the learning mindset, we sort of say um, we had uh, a, a visiting scholar come in and she talked to us about what does learning look like, and something that stood out to me was when she described when you are a novice learner, you have to use a lot of tools, and so we use those tools to help us through it. And so when it comes to prototyping social innovation, we have a kind of approach that we start with, but as we move through, we're able to improve it and um, make those tools better for our processes. So the word that we will use is scalable. 
when right. your content is loose, but you ha- your your kind of your infrastructure is there, you can apply that widely. And so this year, for mm-hmm. example, um, we're expanding to other neighborhoods uh, with the same kind of infrastructure. I mean, it's always adaptive, right? But the content, you know, might change. Uh, we have more, you know, one-off issues, you know, things related to, let's say, um, a shopping center, for example, and some of the dynamics happening there, um, or some of the smaller issues um, emerging in the community, we can still adapt that structure regardless of what the content is. Yeah, and because you really spent the year, you really, you really spent the year building that structure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And all of our activities are are designed around that. So when we say tensions and relationships, at, when we host workshops, the activities that uh, people are participate in often sort of have provocative questions or are designed to sort of ask them how they're feeling, but also give the chance to sort of not just do a, a brain dump of negativity and or positivity, but work through some of those issues. We give people a chance to sort of um, sometimes participate in the, the the data collection, but also synthesize it and make meaning of it together. And similarly with the co-design piece, like that is inherent to this whole process. So that's how we apply this framework to every activity and then make sure that the principles that we uh, have about this and the understanding of mistakes and, you know, shared leadership that's always something that we can go back to and say, okay, are we actually accomplishing this? Yeah. Um, but it's not just a, it's, it's sort of a checklist for those of us who like checklists, um, but it's, it's more a simple rule. How does it apply to this sort of more complex question? Yeah, and then Margie, I'll just add one last thing. Um, you know, so uh, we hope, I mean, certainly, when you have an infrastructure, you can go beyond bureaucracy, you can go beyond government. And, uh, you know, even if, even we have a lot of community stakeholders, you know, at our table, and if they ever have a really challenging issue, we will hope that people can kind of take up this approach that's not unique just to the municipality um, and kind of apply it widely. And then that's why we're focusing on network building this year is so that we at least will have a resource bank, for example, to help tackle some of those questions using this platform. Yeah. I um, I think it's you guys have really I mean your passion is so evident and your um, your love of this work and what you've actually seen come of it you can definitely pull out. Um, I'm curious now you, you've done some you've done some research, um, and you know kind of some of the results have you've just kind of collated and be able to bring together. Can you share with us what some of the impacts you've had um, and what some of the research is showing? Yeah. Um, so, just, so just quickly, some of the slides in the deck are really from last year, um, and then Rafael this year has been part of that research network, working alongside Inwood Forward on the ethnographic research, which uh, we're excited to showcase to the community at the end of the month. Yeah. As, as far as impact, um, again, it's something else that we've had to kind of be okay with is how do we evaluate the success of this work? And, and Karen earlier kind of a alluded to, you know, the changes that these niche innovations could make on the system and make on sort of that bigger landscape of, of urban wellness. And it's still very early days, right? Like at, at, when we started, we thought, okay, we're going to have a dashboard. We're going to be able to show directly how a prototype will impact some of our indicators of wellness. 
Um, you know, yep, it's gonna it's gonna be that simple. And of course, that's not. The of case. course, it will. No uh, problem. <laughs> you know, and we, I mean, of course, we knew that before, but we were so like, okay, this is gonna get us through these really challenging times. Yeah. That this dashboard's gonna work, but um, the the results right now are are more kind of. What are the spaces that we can dive into? And uh, something that's been really interesting from the ethnography are the the themes and the, those opportunity spaces. So being able to look at something like grief and loss a little bit differently. Um, so thinking about where where things like major uh, emotional trauma or you know loss of a job may you know particularly for the very uh, very vulnerable or marginalized have that kind of impact and then looking at the opportunity to um, intervene early or provide upstream supports uh, and what those could look like. Um, you know, we're looking at some interesting areas around sleeplessness and how that shows up um, oh, as far as, you know, when you are in a shelter and there's certain hours and how, you know, I think it's, it's easy for us to look at, you know, whether it's new parents and say that, yeah, we get it, you're, you're not sleeping, that's why you're not functioning 100%. But what if that is your uh, reality and you don't have kids because you don't have, uh, you know, you're not traditionally housed? And so what's the, what's the opportunity to look at that in a different way? And how does our society view, you know, someone who's well-dressed who may be taking a nap, uh, you know, on an LRT versus someone who doesn't have that kind of, you know, socioeconomic indicator? So... Those type of pieces are, are things that we're looking into. Um, right now, our, our research team is, is synthesizing uh, the themes and opportunities from our first year uh, with the second uh, phase of research, and we're about to move into um, another prototyping co-design phase. Um, and at the same time, we're also, again, overlaying that, that quantitative piece. But we, we, there's just a lot of a lot of spaces to sort of look into whether it impacts some of our uh, public realm around the idea of, you know, humanizing space, um, looking at, you know, those third spaces in the inner city and, and how we can program it, um, you know, looking at ideas around ambition. Um, so, you know, I'm describing a lot of, you know, sort of feeling or insights around aspirational pieces, but the, the piece that we have to marry together is, where does where do ideas like reciprocity show up in our existing type of services? And so that's a role that our team uh, takes in another sort of set of research is to take these themes and opportunities and correlate them with what is happening right now and seeing, um, you know, is, is there a gap? Is there something that we can add to it? Or how can we bring in people who provide those services into our process? So what's what's really interesting to, um, to me is... is oh. You've described what could be seen as quite chaotic, but by using prototypes, by using a really strong process to learn and share learnings and make sense of your learnings, you've start to put order into chaos. Yeah, and um, Maria, I just want to back up a little bit on the ethnographic research piece in particular. Mm -hmm. um, you know, people's lives are are chaotic, but people are also doing some remarkable things to survive. And so what the what we really learn from our ethnographic researchers are some different ways of segmenting um, the the particularly the vulnerable population. So um, in in the slide deck you'll see some kind of 
um, characterization of folks. So every one of those has their own stories. So, so you have a whole bunch of profiles. Last year we focused on our downtown core. This year we've expanded to the Strathcona neighborhood and also with our city center mall. So we have mm -hmm. a collection of all these stories. But we don't, but they've really taught us to kind of look at those stories, not through your traditional lens of um, demographic features such as you know, age, um, um, race, uh, and uh, you know, gender, for example, but kind of segment people along uh, psychosocial attributes. So a lot of the things that Raphael talked about, like grief and loss and ambition and reciprocity, um, kind of help reframe that narrative about yeah. what people need and what the, what their outcome for success looks like. Um, so we call those you know, segmentation, and we segment along psychosocial attributes. And that is what leads into these opportunity areas that is just a little bit different from your traditional actions. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, you're not assuming everybody's the same, but there's a unique human experience that is similar. Yeah. That's right. And Marty, to ask you a question about sort of the, the order to the chaos. We're not quite there yet. I, I would still say this is still very much a, a chaotic, basically. <laughs> um, but what, what I think is, is helping is that, um, you know, again, that, that trust and that idea of, of shared collaborative leadership uh, in this space. And so I, I think one thing that is fundamentally different about how Recover has worked is we've tried to position, you know, the city not as, you know, the we are in charge of everything. Yes, we're holding uh, power when it comes to kind of some, some funding to, to pay for some of the research and those pieces, but the idea is that we're, we're moving away from, from that role. Um, we really should be getting into a space where, you know, if research uh, shows an opportunity that really makes sense to explore uh, within the health sector, the the hope is that that, you know, the who's going to take the the torch on that? Mm -hmm. uh, it's not going to be the city. We might be able to say, here's the the framework that we've used that has proven to be successful. We have this network of, of folks who've been interested in the in the design can share our learnings and work with you to help co-design another process, but we're not discounting the expertise that comes from other sectors and other fields and your knowledge of what has been working and, and stuff that hasn't shown up in our level of research. So we're really trying to say that in order to make sense of the chaos, sometimes you need you know the, the steps through. Uh, and I kind of think of, I'm thinking of, this is, Karen will, will roll her eyes at me, but an Indiana Jones analogy. You know, there's certain stones that you can step on to make your your way across. And we're kind of helping, um, you know, our partners kind of take those same steps uh, after we, we kind of go through or be on the, you know, walk along with us. Um, because we want we want everybody to sort of be be trying this approach when it when it makes sense. Uh, because there's so much value to, um, you know, using social innovation uh, to tackle some of this complex work. You bet. And on an Indiana Jones note, I think it's important <laughs> to say um, thank you. You guys have been absolutely fantastic. Um, I think you've really paved, you've really painted a picture, I think, for um, what could be in a beautiful way that... Um, that I think resonates with a lot of folks here on the line. So I really appreciate you bringing the story. We've had a few other questions. Are you okay if we connect you with some folks here Absolutely. who have had questions and would like to just have a little bit of a dialogue? 
for sure. And I kind of feel like we've just touched the surface um, yeah. a bit. But um, anyways, yes, definitely. Wonderful. Thank you. So I'm going to turn it over to Sophie.